Hey everyone, welcome to our next week in Nehemiah. So we will be in Nehemiah chapter 2 today talking about friends in mission. Last week we opened up our series set in the context and talking about friends in faith. We need to come together as friends in faith by praying, hoping, asking God for a broken heart. And then we need to be together then pushed forward into the mission. And Trinity Life Church started out this way. It started out by people all over. Um, I was in Australia at the time, so all over the world uh, being spoken to by God directly to return to Toronto, that's me, and then a couple of other families to come from where they were, Detroit and Texas, sorry, Detroit and North Carolina, um, well, Detroit via Texas and North Carolina to Toronto to see the emergence of the community of faith arise by engaging the city. And we became first friends in faith. Oh my gosh, I remember those sweet moments when it was like, oh, God called you here? God called you here? God called me here? We could do this together. We share the same heart, the same prayers, the same motivation, the same God, the same willingness, the same care. This is amazing. And we became friends in faith right away. And it's so cool to think that just a few families who just really shared friendship and faith together that the whole journey of our church has emerged out of this. And so we're at a point now where here you are. Here you are sitting with other people. And if you guys come together as friends in faith, just imagine what could happen in your neighborhood, in your city, in your family. Your marriage could change. Your relationship with your kids could change. It could just be brilliant. And I hope and pray that the friends in faith become your friends in mission and that amazing things start to happen for you in your life. Um, And we're going to see, uh, as we read through Nehemiah chapter 2, that uh, a lot of what is necessary, we talked about this last week, is prayer, but also planning. And we're going to see today how these two things marry together to initiate the start of the rebuilding of God's the people of God, the city of God, the temple of God, uh, the worship of God. And it's going to be amazing because even though God's people were broken and battered, they came together to start building. And that really needs to happen in our city. So let's jump in here and see what's going on. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was much afraid. Okay, so what's going on here? So we have Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah, uh, he's heard this message that, that, that the city of Jerusalem lays in ruins, the walls are torn down, everything's been lit on fire, and he's before this tyrant of a king who murdered his own brother so that he could be the ruler, okay? Uh, he's put down 
Um, over the course of his reign, two uprisings against him. Uh, he is a brutal man, a mean man, uh, a tyrant of a man. And when you're in the presence of the king, it is not your job to be sad with your own personal problems. It is your job to be happy to even be in the presence of the king because the king rules like a god. And if you put on your personal problems, if you burden the king with your personal issues, he might as well like fire you from your job or just murder you if you're putting unnecessary personal burden and pressure on him. Okay, so Nehemiah gets scared, right? I was very much afraid, okay? <clears throat> How are you doing? How are you doing? What is making you sad. We are in a time right now where the economy seems to be falling apart. Politics, like who knows what's going on with politics these days. I mean, we we had a good laugh from 2016 to 2020 at the US, but even Canada these days, guys, what is going on? There is a lot of stuff to be uh, to be sad about. Um, the ecology, the, right, the, the environment, uh, there's confusion, there's fear en masse. It is just a, it is a strange, hard, stressful, sad time to be living in, right? <clears throat> but like we said last week, God will often use our misery to be our ministry, okay? So, we have Nehemiah, this exiled slave in a foreign country, different culture. His home lies in ruins, and God is going to use this to be his main mission and his main ministry. Now, if you are before a king like this, you have to make a decision. Is this worth dying for? Okay. Some of us barely live for anything, let alone die for anything, right? And so what is worth dying for for you? Most of you probably say, my kids, my family, right? But would you say the state of the church is worth dying for? This is essentially where Nehemiah is at right here. Would you say the state of God's people, that's essentially the church, but even the church organizations around you? What about the state of God's mission? The state of his worship, or the worship of his people towards him? Is that stuff worth dying for and maybe, better yet, worth living for, for you? This is his first time being sad before the king. The king knew he wasn't sick or else he would have called in sick for work. He wouldn't have. If, he, if Nehemiah was sick, he wouldn't have done his job as the cupbearer, right? Because <clears throat> who wants to make the king sick? So this is his first time being sick before the king. He's worried about this burden he's putting on him. You're not supposed to disrespect the king or else you might get killed. But sometimes, and I know we're here, sometimes you just can't help it. You're just not okay. Right? Some of us are very well practiced with saying, you know, hey, how you doing? Like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Even though we all know you're not okay. I mean, some of you, your default is I'm not okay all the time and you're always pushing it over onto people. You're always like, you're always like that, right? And it's like, oh, I don't even want to ask because 
here comes another problem that's not really a problem. It just feels like a problem to you. Um, But sometimes it's real, it's genuine, and you just can't help it. And you can't even help it even in the face of death. This is where Nehemiah is at. What would get you there, right? Nehemiah is willing to die for the fact that the church should be open, that the church should be built up, that the people of God should be restored to right and free worship, that God's people should have their own identity and community, and that God's promises be realized. Okay, and so here we go. Let's see what he does with this. I was very much afraid. I said to the king, here comes the response, let the king live forever. Like, (laughs) good place to start, right? (laughs) Why should not my face be sad when the city and place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Okay, tells him the truth. Some of you need to start telling the truth more when you're asked, how you doing? Why are you, why are you like that right now? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And guess what he does? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Okay. Some of us need to take a lesson from this, right? <clears throat> king said, what are you requesting? Nehemiah has already been praying and fasting and mourning over this for days, weeks, and months. But here comes the moment where he has to have a decisive conversation with a key person who can help change his issue. And he prays again. Why does he do that? It's because a lot of the times... We've run the story over in our minds so often that we know the message that we're going to give, but we personally are not ready to deliver it. And we need God in the moment to give us special anointing and the proper delivery of a very important message to a very important person. Okay? And Nehemiah knows this, so he prays. To the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? (laughs) How long will you be gone and when will you return? So now we get into Nehemiah's ask, okay? Nehemiah's ask. Now, let's remember this. Nehemiah has probably never asked for anything of the king ever in his life, okay? And Nehemiah, with because he has good character and favor and a resume of faithful service with the king, knows that he can make his first ask of the king, okay? Some of us ask our leaders and demand things of our leaders all the time. We don't position ourselves like we talked about last week as servants, 
We demand and we consume. Okay. Nehemiah knows based on his character and faithfulness that he can make this one ask and he's ready. And because he has good character and faithful service, it can be a big ask. And he knows that this king has the authority to fulfill this. Okay. So what does he ask for? Let's make a list. He asked for 12 years off of paid leave, right? How long will you be gone and when will you return, right? So he wants time off work. How many of you could get away with going up to your boss and saying, boss, I want 12 years of vacation, paid? Yeah. Make it infinite days off, you're fired. How about that? That would be the response. <clears throat> he asked for government letters for approval of the approximately 900-mile journey through his territory. So he wants the king to back up his, uh, his claim and give him permission uh, to navigate through his land for all of this. Okay? He wants the military and the king's servants to help him on that journey and to bring all of the resources to Jerusalem, right? If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and let a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Okay, so give me wood out of your personal forest that your personal servants will cut down for me. Uh, I'm going to use it to rebuild a city that uh, you destroyed. I'm going to use it to rebuild the walls to fortify and protect that city that you destroyed. Well, it wouldn't have been it would have been that nation, not necessarily this exact king, but the history of that nation. I want you to let me use the wood to make my own personal mansion. Uh, I want to be in charge of this city and the, its reconstruction. Um, and, <clears throat> and you're no longer going to have your most trusted cupbearer to protect you and your life. That's a big ask. That's a big ask. And what happens? This is in verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Hmm. Okay, so somebody had already asked for this 12 years earlier, and this same king said, no. What's the difference between this ask and that ask? And the difference is anointing. Because anointing is game changer. Anointing is the game changer. When the Holy Spirit, the hand of God, is upon the Christian and the anointing of God is with them and they have mourned, prayed, and fasted, for months, and they have prayed in the moment, anointing changes everything. So let's be that people. And continuing on. What happens then? So the work's approved. Amazing. Woo! Rejoice. Let's go. Let's get it going. The mission is on. And I came to the governor's of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now, the king had sent me 
officers of the army and horsemen. So there you go. Sweet. He's he's sending officers of the army. He's sending the horses. He's it. He's making good on his promise. Verse 10. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, uh, the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Here starts spiritual warfare. Okay. All right. Have you ever heard this term? If God can be for me, then who could be against me? It's probably a scripture passage somewhere, and I've definitely heard songs. uh, For if our God is with us, then who could stand against us? Right? And what could stand against? Right? So this is in our songs, and it's in our prayers, and and. This is probably how Nehemiah is feeling right now, right? He's like, man, the king said it's on, baby, right? Because my God is for me. I am anointed. His right hand, the good hand of my God is upon me. But who could stand against this? Well, I got two idiots for you. Sanballat and Tobiah. And thus starts the uprising against God's people that will torment Nehemiah personally throughout the course of his entire life's work and ministry on this mission. And so if we are going to be friends in this mission together, we are going to have to stand up to guys like this. And what do they want? What do they end up doing? We're going to, and we're going to go through the details of it over and over as it comes up, right? But they twist the narrative. They start to tell stories. They, uh, they frustrate the work. They delay the work. They mock, deride. They have the meeting after the meeting. They plot against the leader. They create conspiracy. It's just a mess. These guys cause a mess, man. Because spiritual warfare is practical, because everything that's um, physical is spiritual and everything that is spiritual is physical, right? These two worlds are interlinked completely. You just can't necessarily always see how or why things are the way they are, right? But there are going to be people who don't read the scriptures, don't pray. They maybe even hang around important places like Jerusalem's or in the church, right? Who don't want the work to go forward. In fact, they get mad when God's people prosper. They get upset when certain leaders find great success because of the anointing of God. And then they make it their personal mission and journey to take that person out and frustrate their work. There are people like Sanballat and Tobiah who will come along. And this is spiritual warfare that is also very practical. Okay? So what happens next? Nehemiah goes out in the night, right? So I went to Jerusalem there three days. Then I rose at night and... uh, I and a few with um, a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode, and I went out by night the, uh, by the valley 
a gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate and i inspected the walls of jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire and then i went on to the fountain gate to the king's pool but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass then i went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and i turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned and the officials did not know where i had gone or what i was doing and i had not yet told the jews the priests and the nobles the officials and the rest who were to do the work. Okay, so he goes out at night and he has a little prayer walk and he takes only the people that he trusts, just a few men with him, okay? Some of us need to prayer walk a little bit more. Some of us need to pray in the dead of the night. Some of us need to get out into our city and into our neighborhood and into the details of the church organization that we're a part of. We need to see what's really going on, what's broken, what's not working, what's been burned down, what's the real state of things, how are things really going here? You need to pray and you need to inspect and you need to have and gain perspective without the accolades of everybody knowing what you're doing or what's going on and you need to gain perspective okay it's not always going to be comfortable he had to get off his horse he had to dig through the rubble he had to get into all the nooks and crannies to really know what's going on he had to really feel and see the impact of the scope of the work that was ahead for the community For me, when I go out at night, I walk through the neighborhood, and I do go out at night and walk through the neighborhood, I need to let the emotions out, and I need to feel the weight of it. I need to understand, and I need to see, and I need people to not be all around me as I'm processing all of it. And what oftentimes can come from this is renewed conviction Renewed perspective and confidence in your mission and or calling. And let's see how that works. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, here's the response of those who he trusts, who have gone with him. Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. It's amazing. Go out without anybody else. And then find the people that you trust and tell them the mission and the vision and see how they respond. A lot of times it can go like this in the church. And this happens a lot. Happens a lot to me. Happens a lot to other leaders. And you start the brainstorming session and you give a big vision. How are we going to work this out? And it's and often very early well, I don't know, that seems too hard, that seems too big, that seems too much, that doesn't, I don't know if we can do this. I don't. If you have a leader 
who's with you. And I'll just, just tell you guys. And they are dreaming a big dream and a big vision. If you quash that right away, if you imagine it like a little seed that's planted that's just started to sprout, your criticism of the vision, your criticism early on in the process can be like a boot that stomps out a little fragile sprout. And I know, especially as Trinity Life, that when you've come through a hard season, when you're broken, when you're battered, and somebody starts talking about building, it's the last thing you want to do. I know it's the last thing you want to do. It's the last thing you feel like you can do because everything's destroyed. Everything was on fire. Everything is burned down. The resources don't seem like they're there. The people, the energy. I don't even know if I have the strength, the willingness, the desire. I don't know how we're going to do this. And so you want to just stomp it out. And I know for us too, I don't have the time, my work schedule, my my family drama, my personal anxiety, depression, or otherwise. It's just hard, man. I know. I know. But chances are the very thing that will actually give you life is to engage on the mission. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 4. My very food, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and accomplish his work. That will give you energy, life, Flourishing, thriving, it will bring flavor and joy. So if you have a leader helping you dream and the sprout is starting to sprout, don't criticize it too early. Let us rise up and build. So if you're a leader, and most of you should be, you should be trying to lead somebody, trying to make at least one disciple, trying to share a little piece of good news with somebody. If you're a leader... Cast a good vision and find those people who say, let us rise up and build. Find people who are excited and energized by that vision and put more energy, time, and attention into those people than those who would try and squash that. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, so they brought another buddy along, right? Because guess what? Just when you feel like you got some energy and momentum and you got some people on board, the spiritual warfare strikes again. Again. When they heard of it, they jeered at us and they despised us and said, what is the thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Wow, accusation. Are you doing something illegal? Are you doing something you shouldn't be doing? What's going on here? Who do you think you are? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or rights or claim in Jerusalem. That's how spiritual warfare should go. Spiritual warfare will often start and come in the form of accusation. 
whether that's external or internal, right? So this is external, people outside of you. Sometimes it's internal, right? It can come from within your own church, your own friend group, or it can come from within your own soul. And often those external ones can translate into the internal ones. Oh, they're right. I don't have what it takes. I'm not the leader. I didn't hear God properly. What am I trying to do? That is actually kind of crazy. And spiritual warfare can be like that. And you combat it by doubling down on the character and nature of God and the calling and the promise of God on your life. The God of heaven will make us prosper. You will try and tear us down and you say it won't work, but it will work because God is with me. And we, his servants, will arise and build, right? So you can think about it like this. You have an army. You've even brought a friend along. You think your army's growing. Our army will be bigger and grow faster. And you have no portion here. This is God's work and God's people and God's time and God's resources. That's how spiritual warfare should go. And so let's do that. So here's some homework for you. Some questions to talk about together. What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to live for? Number one, is it God's mission, God's people, God's calling, God's anointing? What type of person are you? Are you a prayer or a planner? Because both of these things need to come together. Right? You can't just have the Pentecostals who rip up their sermon notes right before they preach and say, ah, I'll just go by the Spirit. And you can't just be a Baptist who's got three points, each with three subpoints, and follow the exact plan. We need both the prayers and the planners married together. Nehemiah knew exactly what to do when the king asked. He knew exactly what he needed. He had his plan and he prayed and he was ready to marry the two together. And when those two things together combined, we had boom, massive anointing of God on the mission. So what type of person are you? A prayer or a planner and why? What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to live for? What type of person are you, prayer or planner? What type, here's question number three, what type of provision do you need to start asking for to accomplish the work in your neighborhood? What type of provision do you need to start asking for to accomplish the work in your neighborhood? Is it favor from a particular organization, whether it's political or neighborhood leader, right? Um, Or another church even? Is it resources? Is it timing? Is it Vision, what do you need? What type of provision do you need? Okay, And then I want you guys to go out and prayer walk your neighborhood and ask for perspective on the scope of the work. Go see what's burned down. Go see what is torn down. Go see what is destroyed and ask God for the burden and perspective on the work. Okay, guys. That's it for Nehemiah chapter two. I hope you guys have a great time in your R3s working through this. I'm excited to go through this book together. I'm excited to discover the mission and work that we have because we've come through a season where we are broken and battered, but we will start hopefully to build. All right, love you guys and we'll see you again soon. 